We need to know who we are. Our culture has gone crazy with trying to figure out our identity. Welcome to this week's sermon cast from Halfway There Ministries. Every man and woman wrestles with the question, who am I? Today from the pulpit of Moreland First Baptist Church in Houstonville, Kentucky, Pastor Eric begins to do the work to answer that question as we examine the opening verses of Romans chapter one. The Apostle Paul introduces us to himself and his standing that he has before Christ. He gives us a glimpse of the answer to the question, who am I? And as an introduction, uh, we're introduced to four things today. Three of those things, if you want to say it like that, are, are people. Uh, one is the gospel. And so we're introduced to the people, the persons, uh, Paul, Jesus, and then ourselves. We get to see who we are. And then we're introduced to the gospel, and we begin to hear and begin to learn about each of these and what we pick up on um, in these first seven verses will set us on a path uh, through the rest of the book to help us understand much else of what's in there. So, so let's look through this and begin to be introduced to the themes of this book. And first we see Paul. We're introduced first to Paul. Uh, look again in verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus, or I'm sorry, of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, nowadays, if we write a letter or an email, we'll put our name at the end of it. We'll say to so-and-so and then write what we want to say. And then at the end, we'll say from Eric or, or from whoever. Well, back uh, then... Oftentimes things were written on scrolls and you didn't want to have to unroll the whole thing and get to the end to see who it was. So the custom, it made more sense back then, at the beginning of a letter you told who it was from. And this letter is uh, is from Paul. And I, I read what he says here and I, I think about um, having interviews with, uh, you know, for a job. If you've ever had an interview for a job, um, you know one of the first questions they always ask you, or the first things they say is this. They say, uh, tell me a little bit about yourselves, uh, about yourself. That's how most interviews uh, seem to start. And over the last several years, I, I've had multiple uh, interviews uh, where I've been working in the school system, and that's been asked of me several times. And, and, and here's the thing uh, when I think about this. I'm an expert on me, right? I, I know me, I should know me uh, better than anyone because I've lived with myself my whole life. I, I've been there with myself the whole time and uh, I'm the only one who's been with me the whole time. So if anybody knows something about me, it should be me. Uh, but when I'm asked to tell a little bit about myself, I always hesitate a little bit. You know, what, what, what do you mean? Like, like what do you want to know? Well, I'm... I'm married, I have three kids, uh, one of my dogs whimpers a lot outside, um, you know, I, I'm a pastor, is that, is that good enough? Like, what else do you want to know? 
And it's always something that kind of makes me pause, even though I should know who I am. I don't always know how to answer that very well. But Paul here, I look at how he answers this. He would do amazing in an interview because he knows exactly who he is. He doesn't hesitate at all. The first thing that he tells us about himself is he is a bond servant of Christ Jesus. That's the very first thing we learn about him here. He doesn't say uh, the things that he could have said. He doesn't say that he had what would be the equivalent of one or two PhDs by the time he was in his early 20s. He doesn't say that he's been educated by one of the best-known teachers of his day. He doesn't talk about how he's a, a respected Pharisee and, and any awards or recognitions that he would have. Nothing like that. He doesn't talk about the missionary journeys uh, that he has gone on. He doesn't tell us his favorite food or his favorite color. He doesn't get into that. The very first thing that Paul says when he's asked about his identity is he points directly to Jesus. He says, I'm a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Now that Greek word for bond servant is, is the word doulos. It, it, it quite literally just means slave. It's someone who has been purchased and they become property and they're property of the master who purchased them. That's what the word literally means. Now, a lot of people may be offended by that. Some people would say, well, it's beneath them to identify uh, with service or serving someone else to the point of being called a slave. Our culture hates this, but, but let me tell you, you are always a slave to something. Before you were saved, Scripture says that you were a slave to Satan. You were a slave to sin. But then when Jesus saves you, you are freed from those chains and you become a slave to him. Because here's the deal. Doulos, the word for slave, it's directly tied to another word, kurios, which means Lord. So those are the words. You have slave and you have Lord. And you can't confess Jesus as Lord if you don't recognize yourself as his slave, his bondservant. Because here's the thing. He's the boss. He's the master. Uh, what he says goes. So if Jesus is your Lord, that means you are his slave. It, the two go together. You can't have one without the other. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So Paul is a slave. But then he goes on to say he's also called as an apostle. Now, the apostles were a group of men in the first century. Apostles don't exist today. There were specific requirements for being an apostle. One of those requirements was that you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that in and of itself disqualifies anybody today who tries to tell you they're an apostle. And some people will say that. They're, they're apostles so-and-so. Well, no, they're not. Not, not biblically. They've not witnessed uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but Paul, he met that requirement because of what happened on the uh, 
in the scripture that Leah read earlier from Acts chapter 9 where he met the risen Savior on the Damascus Road. He, he, he had that first person encounter with him. So Paul qualifies for it. So an apostle is someone who is similar to, uh, to an ambassador for a king. Somebody that, that a king sends out to do something. Someone who is sent with authority. God used the apostles to lay the foundation of the church and, and to give us scripture like what we're reading today. Uh, so an apostle is one who is sent with the authority of God behind them. And this is Paul. That's who Paul says that he is. Then the third thing that he says that he is, is this. He says he's set apart for the gospel of God. Now here's an interesting thing about that phrase, set apart. Uh, Paul, he was a Pharisee uh, before he was saved, and that phrase, set apart, is the same phrase that was used to describe the Pharisees. Uh, they were a group of men who uh, considered themselves different from everyone else because of their holiness, because of their, on the surface, seemingly uh, ability to seem righteous. They just thought they were better than everybody else. But Paul no longer says that he is set apart in that way. He doesn't say he's set apart by his righteousness. Now he identifies a different way. He says, I'm set apart for the gospel. God has set me apart for the gospel. God has chosen him, and he has set him apart for the purpose of the gospel. So, so that's a quick introduction to who Paul is. He's a slave to Christ Jesus. He is called as an apostle, and he's someone who is set apart for the gospel of God. That brings us to a second thing that we're introduced to, and it's this. It's the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, notice that the gospel is called the gospel of God there at the end of verse 1. Uh, gospel is simply a word that means good news. It's a proclamation. It's an announcement of victory. Uh, and this wasn't an earthly king's announcement. This wasn't Caesar's announcement. Now, this proclamation was from God himself. It is God's gospel is what he is saying. So let's notice something, though, about this gospel. Look in verse 2. Verse 2, talking about the gospel, it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So not too long after Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, just a few short years later, um, the Jews accused him of coming up with this newfangled message that they didn't like, they didn't think much of, and they thought that his message was one that was in opposition to the Hebrew Scriptures, what, uh, what you and I call the Old Testament. They're saying, Paul, he, he's preaching something that goes against the Old Testament in, in our terms. In Acts 21, 28, listen to uh, what they say. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. So the Jews are saying, this Paul guy, he, 
He's preaching against us. He's preaching against the Hebrew Scriptures. He's bringing Gentiles here. What in the world is he doing? So people were saying that Paul somehow had this new message. And, and you'll hear well-meaning Christians say the same thing today. They'll talk about how the Old Testament is about the law. And then you get to the New Testament, and that's about grace. As if somehow they're, they're different. Well, friend, that's, that's an unbiblical way to look at it. That's certainly not what Paul believed. Paul believed that the gospel had been around as long as the scriptures had been around. Now notice that he says in verse 2 about the gospel, which he promised beforehand, number one, through his prophets, number two, in the holy scriptures. He's saying the gospel has always been through these scriptures. You maybe not noticed it. Maybe you didn't understand the fullness of it, but it's always been there. The first promise of the gospel was in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. That's, that's the first preaching of the gospel in the whole Bible. Uh, Luke 24, 27, Jesus explains how the whole Old Testament is about him. It says, Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He's saying, listen, everything that you read in these Old Testament scriptures, these Hebrew scriptures, they're all about me. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 talks about this covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my heart within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people what about Isaiah 9 6 for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God eternal father prince of peace we could spend a week going through the Old Testament scriptures showing how time after time it pointed us to Jesus, points us to the gospel. That truth has always been there. Maybe the Jews didn't always understand it. That doesn't mean it, it wasn't there. It's, it's always been there. It's a shame in some ways that we break the Old Testament and the New Testament into two different sections uh, because what that causes us to do is think this. Well, here are these 39 books in the Old Testament, and these are the old ones. And uh, it's talking about something in the past, and, and it kind of applies to me, but it really doesn't apply to me. Uh, so I'll just kind of tolerate the Old Testament, and you know, I'll read it every now and then. But then you have over here these 27 books that make up the New Testament, and well, since that says new, then that must be for me. Well, that, that's not the way to look at it. The 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament are the 66 books of God's Word. All of that is God's Word. Uh, it, it said that W.A. Criswell, who was a pastor in Texas for for many years, uh, one time preached a series of sermons about the scarlet thread that runs throughout Scripture. 
one theologian said that we can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds, meaning that the gospel, the blood of Christ, is on each and every page of Scripture. No matter where you cut it, no matter where you open it, you can open up the Bible and close your eyes and point to a verse and that's telling you something about Jesus and his gospel. That's how the Bible works. It was something that was promised of God beginning in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Now Romans will uh, will take some time as we go through this to better explain the substance of that promise and uh, you know, we're going to hang on to that scarlet thread that shows us the blood of Jesus Christ. But for today, though, we're simply introduced to it. We need to know that the gospel is not a new thing. It's something that's been around as long as Scripture itself. So we've been introduced to Paul. We've been introduced to the gospel. And now we're introduced to Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus who is Jesus Christ? In, in simple terms, how can we be introduced uh, to him? So speaking of the gospel of God in verse 2, Paul then goes on in verse 3 to write this. He says, concerning his son. So we know that God's uh, gospel there, if, if that's all we read, just those first three words, concerning his son, we know that God's gospel, because of that, is a promise concerning his son. The one who is 100% God himself. He's, he's the son of God. Who is this one who is the very son of God? Well, let's keep reading verse 3. Who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So, already... Already we see something spectacular here. God's gospel tells us about his son, who is also a descendant of David, according to the flesh. So here's one who is 100% God, and he's 100% man. He's the son of God, and he's also a descendant of David. So his earthly parents, Joseph and, and Mary, they were both from the lineage of David, uh, from that same tree, they were distant cousins, but the, the flesh of, of Jesus was just as real as the deity of Jesus. He's not half and half. He's not partly God and partly man. He is the God-man. He is fully God, and he is fully man. He is the Son of God, and at the same time, also in the flesh, the Son of a descendant of David, but that's not all. Look in verse uh, 4 now. Verse 4 says, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus here was declared to be the Son of God with power. Now that word declared is a word that means distinguished. So it's it's the word, the same kind of word from where we get our word horizon from. So if you ever look out onto the horizon uh, during sunset time, that horizon is the separation between earth and the sky, right? It's that separation. It's, uh, it's that distinction. 
Well, that's what it's saying here about him. Jesus was shown to be the one who is distinguished. He is set apart. He is different from all the others. There's no one like him. He's distinguished from any other person as proven by his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus died, church, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised on the third day, and he wasn't just temporarily raised, but he is permanently raised. He was raised to die no more. He was resurrected bodily. He was resurrected literally. He was resurrected physically. And he was the first one to ever do that and, and to stay alive. When he was resurrected, uh, it was declared to the world, and it's declared to you today, and it's declared to me today that Jesus is the one and only Son of God. And he is Lord, as Paul calls him at the end of verse 4. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in verse 5, we learn something else about Jesus. Verse 5, it says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So Paul is saying, uh, what he's saying that here is that it's through Jesus that we receive grace and that he received apostleship. Um, for the purpose of bringing about the obedience of the faith among the Gentiles. So Jesus is the source of grace. Jesus is the source of apostleship. Jesus is, he's all that and more. But that's just an introduction. Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's Lord, he's the Son of God, he's 100% God, he's 100% man, he's resurrected, he's declared to the world that he's the Son of God, and this is the same Jesus that Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm his slave, I'm his bond servant, no one else, Jesus Christ alone. So we, we've seen a lot of introductions in this so far, we, we've learned who Paul is, we've kind of touched on what the gospel is. We've seen in a very small way who Jesus is, but there's one more introduction here uh, to have. And this last one is an introduction of ourselves, who we are. You know, who, who are we? I saw a list that was titled um, The 100 Best Human Nature Books of All Time. And it was this list that had 100 books on it that were supposedly the best ones you could read about human nature. Uh, number one on that list is a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Number two was Lord of the Flies. Uh, other books on that list include Frankenstein, Animal Farm, uh, Predictably Irrational, others. I searched through it and nowhere in those 100 books, 100 greatest books of human nature, did it ever mention anything about the book of Romans? But what we need to know, what you and I need to know, is that the greatest book in history that shows us an in-depth look of human nature and of who we are and why we do the things that we do and why we act the way that we act is the book of Romans. If you want to understand yourself and why you are the way you are and what your true human nature is, then look no further than Romans. God will tell you in Romans. It'll tell you exactly who you are. And we need that, don't we? 
We need to know who we are. Our culture has gone crazy with trying to figure out our identities and who we are and we're this and we're not that and no one knows anymore what gender they are or what their orientation is or this or or that. But I tell you, an in-depth look at the book of Romans will correct every bit of that in a hurry. It'll tell you exactly who you are and who God has created you to be. So let's see for just a moment who we are. Look in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Among whom you also are the called. Notice that it says T-H-E, the, before that, the called of Jesus Christ. Now Paul, here he's, he's writing directly to the Romans um, who are Christians, but make no mistake, if, if we're Christians today, then this applies to us as well. So we are who they were, and they were who we are. Uh, it's the same description for both of us here. And notice that Paul gives them, gives us a wonderful title. He calls them the called of Jesus Christ. So we're not just people who are called. We are people who are the called. That's our title. That's who we are. We're the called. And what we'll find in Romans is when we're talking about being called, we're not talking about just this general, hey, you're called to come to Christ thing that happens uh, when preachers preach. We're talking about this inner working of the Holy Spirit whereby he, he takes our dead hearts and makes us alive and helps us to understand the truth of God's Word and brings us to himself. That's, that's what we're talking about with the called. It's kind of like being drafted into the army except everybody that goes uh, absolutely wants to be there and they take off running to get there. That's, that's what it's like in this. We are the called, but we're more than that. Look in verse 7. Verse 7 says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not just the called, we're also beloved. And we're not just beloved by our, our mama or our daddy or our grandparents or anybody like that. We're beloved of God. God loves us. So what does that mean? What does that mean that we are beloved? Well, if you can remember back to when Jesus was baptized, uh, it was in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And after he was baptized, there was a voice that came from heaven that said this, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus was called beloved. And now here, you and I, the Romans, we're called beloved. Now how does that work? Well, here's what we need to know. Because of who we are in Christ, whatever Christ is, that's who we are in him as well. So in other words, I'm not beloved of God because I'm such a great guy or because I'm so smart or because I'm a hard worker or because I sin less than that person or I don't do this thing or that thing. That's, that's not the reason. I'm beloved because Jesus is beloved and I'm in him. Now understand that if you're a Christian today, and this is a wonderful truth, you are just as loved by God as Jesus is. 
Think about that. God loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus because you are in Jesus. So when he looks to you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. Another thing we're called there, it says to all, in verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Now, if I were to go around the room and ask you who in here thinks that you're a saint, probably not many of you would raise your hand. You'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good, but I'm not a saint. You know, that's, that's a little too much. Well, that's not the biblical way to look at it, is it? It doesn't say that we're called to be saints later on. It says we're called as saints. If you're not a saint, you're not a Christian. That doesn't mean you're a goody-two-shoes. That means that you are set apart in Christ is what that means. You are sanctified, set apart by him. You are a saint, anointed by the anointed, right? Set apart by the one uh, who is distinguished from, from everyone else. So if you are a Christian, then the truth of the matter is you are a saint as well. That's who you are. That's uh, who you are to be. As one person said, that is your vocation at your job. You are a saint. And then finally, in that last part of verse 7, we see the phrase there, grace and peace. Grace is it's an unearned, unmerited favor where God freely chooses to bestow uh, his, his choosing, his love, his good fortune on those whom he chooses uh, to give it to. And the result of that is peace. Peace that passes all understanding. It's a, a peace where we're no longer enemies with God. We're no longer at odds with God, uh, but we're at peace with him. We're reconciled with him because of what Jesus has done for us. So if you know nothing else today about your identity, friend, understand that in Christ you are this. You are the called. You are beloved. You are a saint. You are a recipient of God's good grace and peace. Thank you for listening to today's sermon cast a ministry of Halfway There Ministries. We hope that you were edified with today's sermon and that Christ was glorified. Join us for our weekly podcast every Saturday morning, the Halfway There Cast. You can visit our website at halfwaytheirministries.org and catch up with our blog. Also check out our YouTube page along with our other social media pages. May the Lord bless you and keep you in all that you do this week.